You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. Well, like me coming into this room with a heavy heart after a heavy week of what's been a really hard and heavy year. But as we do each week, we come together under the authority of God's word to hear his word together, to help us navigate this beautiful and broken world in which we find ourselves. This is our third week in our One Another series as we're looking at these different commands in the New Testament about our life together, thoughts that after a year of being more isolated from one another than ever, it'd probably be good for us to be reminded of what our life together under Jesus is supposed to look like as the people of God. And today, as you just heard, we are in Romans 14. The key verse, this key one another is in verse 13. I'll read again for us. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Probably alongside Matthew 7.1, which says, Judge not lest you be judged. These together are probably some of the most favorite, well-known verses in our culture today. The theologian Tupac said, Only God can judge me. And before I heard that lyric from Tupac, I remember seeing it on tattooed on the back of one of my teammates. Only God can judge me. People love these verses, but what do they mean? How do we as Christians apply these verses in a time when there are so many opinions about so many things? How do we who have legitimate disagreements with one another not allow our differences to lead to divisions among us as the people of God. Here in Romans 14, the Apostle Paul identifies the problem and also gives us a solution. But in order for us to understand the problem of what's going on here, we gotta know the background as often we do, the context of what's happening here in Romans 14. Again, the, promise, the problem is that there are differences in the church in Rome that are leading to divisions here. We saw the first week of the series, Pastor Demetrius so faithfully shepherded us through John 13. And we ended with Jesus' words that by this, all people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. When Jesus' church is divided, we are lying about the gospel. We're taking something, again, Jesus's gospel, which means good news. We're taking something that's good and making it look like it is bad, that it's not good. Jesus prayed for and he died that we might be reconciled to God and one another. And so when we are divided from one another, it is a big deal for us as the people of God. Paul points out two areas of division here in Romans 14 over two really common things. The first he brings up here is food. It's hard to get more common than food, right? What's going on here is there's some people in the church in Rome that think that they should no longer eat meat and only eat vegetables. And Paul says to this group that they are weak in faith. Now hear me, I know we got some vegans and vegetarians in the room, 
Paul is not saying that you're weak in faith just because you're a vegan or vegetarian. This was not about diet and health. This was about spiritual convictions. People saying that they're no longer going to eat meat and only eat vegetables for spiritual reasons. So again, this isn't a carnivore, herbivore debate, not a keto versus vegan debate. It's not about which diet is best, but about is God asking his people now in the new covenant to eat in such a way Does that have spiritual significance for us now? So we've got here in Rome, Jewish Christians who, again, if you know the background, if you know the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God is very particular in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant about what his people should eat. And there's some different reasons for that, but the main reason why God gives them a distinct diet is to separate them from their pagan neighbors around them. So they are distinctively set apart as the people of God. When Jesus shows up on the scene, Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? Jesus changes everything about our lives. He also has brought with him a new covenant. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. He fulfilled the law through his life and death and resurrection. And when he did so, he ushered in what the scriptures tell us, a new covenant. One that was prophesied by the prophets, by Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. Jesus has brought the fulfillment of this. We see in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, now it's no longer what goes into a person defiles him, but what comes out. Not about food that you put in, but about what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your heart is what defiles us. And Mark records in Mark chapter 7 that when Jesus said that, he is declaring all foods as clean. We went through Acts a couple years ago. You may remember if you've been around, Acts chapter 10, Peter is on the roof, this house, not his house, he's visiting someone, he's on the roof, he's praying, but as he's praying, he gets really hungry. It's amazing how often when I wanna pray, how hungry and tired I get, right? Peter actually knows something about both of those things we see in the scriptures. Peter gets hungry, it's distracting him from praying, But as he's waiting on this meal to be prepared for him, he has a vision. A vision comes down and Peter begins to see all of these animals that were considered unclean under the old covenant law for Jews. And he hears this voice from the Lord saying, kill and eat. But Peter responds out loud, say, oh no, Lord, no no unclean thing like that has ever touched my clean lips. But the Lord responds to Peter, and tells them, don't call unclean or common what the Lord has called clean. Peter has to be reminded of this through the vision, through the Lord's voice, three times the text tells us. And this was a preparation for Peter. The seeing this food picture, these unclean animals, this was a preparation for him to go and preach the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles, to this non-Jewish community. And the Gentiles have their own Pentecost there in Acts chapter 10 where the spirit comes. But even after Peter has this experience, even after he has this vision, even after he hears the audible voice of the Lord and sees the Gentiles come to faith and sees them receive the Holy Spirit, it was still hard for Peter to put these things into practice. In Antioch, we read about in Galatians chapter two, Peter is there at the table grubbing with his Gentile bros, enjoying table fellowship with them. But then some Jewish bros from Jerusalem show up. It says that Peter ghosts on them. 
He withdraws from them. He pulls back from fellowshipping at the table with his Gentile brothers and sisters. And it's something he does publicly. So you know what happens? Paul sees this and Paul goes up and rebukes Peter to his face. Again, Peter, after knowing, hearing from the Lord, all things are clean. Seeing Gentiles come to faith, he's pulling back. And Paul rebukes him publicly. He says, because Peter's actions were out of step with the gospel. This is a big deal. So back to Rome here. And there are some Jewish Christians that are siding. They're just gonna eat veggies now. And Paul, a fellow Jew, says that these folks are weak in their faith. It may not just have been Jews saying this. There may have been some Gentiles getting in on this veggie-only diet. We know from 1 Corinthians 8 that some of those with background of paganism were worried about because a lot of the meat that was sold in the market was offered to idols. They didn't want to eat any meat that was sacrificed to idols. But here Paul's implying that those who realize that now all food is, is clean in Christ and that idols are only made by human hands, that they are stronger in their faith. But what Paul is calling those who are strong in their faith to do is to bear with the weak and to not look down on the weak in judgment. The second issue Paul brings up here, this causing division in the church in Rome, is there your, this consideration, are there certain days that are now more holy than others? in the new covenant under Jesus. Again, if you know the Old Testament, you know the Sabbath was a big deal under the Old Covenant. God's very particular about how he wants his people to conduct themselves and how he wants them to rest on the Sabbath. But Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus proclaims himself as Lord of the Sabbath. He heals people on the Sabbath. He's the one who's in control of it all. In verse five, saying, says this, some people are considering one day as more holy than others. Other people are saying all days are now the same. But Paul says each should be convinced in his own mind. But their being convinced of this should not lead them to pass judgment over those who have different convictions in them. So in the case of days, I think the scriptures are clear about this. I think now that the scriptures would call us the people of God to still practice Sabbath in our lives. I've had to repent to the Lord and to my family and to you, my church family. Last year for I think the first five years of my pastoral ministry had very little Sabbath involved in it, which was wrong, was sinful, was me thinking I know better than God's word in the way that I was conducting my life. So we need Sabbath in our lives. But in Christ, the day in which you observe Sabbath and rest, the details of what all it looks like are not as important in the new covenant. There's freedom for these things. Again, some people feel like because Jesus was raised on Sunday, it's called the Lord's Day in the book of Revelation, that that means that maybe Sunday should now be the Sabbath for the people of God. Maybe I should set apart this day as being holy where I rest from everything else. Other people say, hey, God rested on seventh day. Maybe I should do like old covenant Jews from Friday evening to Saturday evening. That's what my family does is because it works best for us. Again, that's fine to say, hey, this is what I'm gonna do. This is my conviction. Feel free to do those things. But Paul's saying, don't judge people that have different convictions in you on these things. 
So this is the background to what Paul's addressing. But what about us? I, I don't think food and days are the biggest issues for us today that are causing division in the church. The Africa Bible commentary says this, given our different backgrounds, there are many potential areas for disagreement. Just as Paul addressed those in his time and context, so we need to address those in our time and context. So what are the issues that are causing division for us in the church today? I don't know about you, but I feel like 2020 made our culture and even the church more polarized than any other time in my lifetime. And we have an enemy who knows a divided church is a more vulnerable church. So I think it's important for us to ask the question, what are our issues that we pen, tend to pass judgment over one another about? And how do we solve them? So many of our preferences and even convictions are cultural. I think we need to be careful never to confuse our cultural preferences with biblical faithfulness. Again, when we look at the way a church service is done, the songs we sing, the way we order a service, there's certain things biblically that need to be involved in that, but there's a lot of freedom in those things as well, right? And there are churches that divide over what songs they sing or how they order a service. We shouldn't divide over these things, should we? But think about not just outside or inside the church, but outside. When you think about things culturally, when you think about the culture that shaped us, we need to reckon with our history. We need to reckon with the ugly history of white supremacy that has shaped not only our culture, but even much about our church culture. Again, we live in America that's said to be the land of the free, a place where every man is created equal and has certain inalienable rights given by its creator. But the truth is, if you know the story of our country, we had to have constitutional amendments to say our African-American brothers and sisters are actually fully human. Our nation was not really a place in the beginning and still today where we view everyone that has value as an image bearer of God. We talk a lot about the black and white divide here in Birmingham, because I think we should, because it's what our city is known around the world for. We must address these things if we're gonna faithfully preach the gospel in the culture and context in the city where the Lord has called us. We ask a lot about what the experience of African-Americans looks like in our church, which I think again is right for us because where the Lord has placed us. But as I was checking in on one of our members this week, he graciously and humbly uh, pointed out that rarely is the Asian American experience addressed in the church or in the culture at large. And again, I think these are things that we need to reckon with as we again, turn on the news and look around us where we are right now. Did you know that there was a law that was passed by the Supreme Court in California that and someone of Asian descent could not testify in court against someone who was white in our country? Do you know about the Chinese Exclusion Act that for over 60 years barred Chinese image bearers, immigrants from coming into our 
nation. The truth is this is not just things of the past or isolated events. Again, if you're paying attention, there's been a, over a 150% increase in hate crimes towards the Asian American community over the last year. And I don't think this is a coincidence. There's been inflammatory language around the virus. It's been used from the highest office of our land. And as Christians, we must take no part in perpetuating hate. These things are out of step with the gospel. We need to realize again, as Christians that live here, that we have more in common with our brothers and sisters that don't look like us, that are again, citizens of different countries that belong to Jesus than we do American citizens who don't belong to Jesus. We must recognize the image of God, the value and dignity in all those that God has made. But we need to ask ourselves, why do we want to hang out with people that are like us? I think if we're honest, it's because it's easier, isn't it? It's easier to be around people who think like us, talk like us, vote like us, people who all have our same preferences and prejudices, because when we hang out with people like us, those things are never challenged. It's an easier way to live, but it's not the way of Jesus' kingdom. The way of Jesus' kingdom is harder, but it is better and more beautiful and more rewarding. We need to reckon again with the culture and things that have shaped us, these things that have caused these lines of division to be drawn. And the truth is, not just for every person, but every culture has blind spots and we need one another. Our cultural differences are a huge part of what exposes these problems, but it's also a huge part of the solution. Because again, you have blind spots, I have blind spots, each culture has blind spots, but we often have different blind spots and we need one another to help us with our blind spots so that we can be more fully formed in the fashion of Jesus. So we can read the scriptures, not just through our cultural lens, but have other people come in and help us see the things that are there. The New Testament, if we read through it and have eyes to see these things, there's so many things that deal with the divisions that were going on in the church, especially ethnically and economically. We went through the book of Acts a couple years ago. These are the first problems, the first councils the church is having to call is to deal with these things. And when we look at these problems, we have to deal with them in a way that's different from the world. Tim Keller points out, the world wants us to deal with these differences and saying that, again, we shouldn't pass judgment one another. They would say amen to that, but they would say that and saying that you should make no negative evaluations about anyone else. You should say that to no one that someone's beliefs or that their way of life is wrong or harmful. But ironically, this way of the world just leads to another form of intolerance, right? People become intolerant of intolerant people. People become judgmental of judgmental people. I remember a coffee shop when I was in seminary that was yeah, close would visit. It was a sign that said, no proselytizing. We won't tolerate your intolerance. 
Again, just another form of intolerance, right? Our culture is self-defeating in the way they go about these things. This isn't the answer. The people of Jesus are to go about these things, according to Paul, in a different way, in a way that may feel opposite to this. Paul is making an evaluative statement here by saying that these people's faith is weak. But he says to accept those who are weak in faith, to draw them in, to adjust your life, to make changes in order for you to have a relationship with them, who again, who culturally or convictionally may be different than you on some things. The ESV has this global study Bible written by scholars from all over the world that's really helpful. Again, they point out Paul is not dealing with issues of sin here, not issues of stealing or slander or sexual sin, things that the Bible is really clear about. But he's dealing of issues of personal preference. Where again, where we have freedom as a people of God to have our consciences take us in different directions, to worship God in some different ways of expression. And where the word of God is clear and where things are central to our faith, All Christians everywhere, no matter of culture, need to be on the same page about those things. That's one of the beautiful things about the Christian faith, some of the things we confess together, these old confessions and creeds that sometimes we'll read out loud together to remind us that Christianity is much bigger than us. That there've been millions upon millions of people around the world now and through the ages who've confessed this common faith, that have held fast to what we read in Jude 3, that the faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints. Those things we need to be on the same page on, but in areas where it's not central and where the scriptures are not clear, where Christians have always disagreed about things, we need to be more open-handed about those things. We need to make room for one another. We need to accept and draw in each other. There's freedom to disagree, but those disagreements should happen in love as a family. Tony Evans says that We can respond in two different ways when these differences and divisions come up. We can respond in a way that's critically or charitably. We can be harmful or helpful in the way we go about these things. We can be part of perpetuating the problem or part of the solution. Look at verse one again. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. What's Paul saying here? He said, don't welcome somebody in just so that you can rebuke them for being weak. Saying don't befriend someone just so you can try to change their opinions about things that don't ultimately matter. I think Paul's clear in the rest of chapter 14 that we need to stop judging one another about things that don't matter ultimately because God is the ultimate judge. He quotes from Isaiah 45 here in verses 11 and 12 to prove this point. He tells us here, we shouldn't judge other Christians, again, about things that don't ultimately matter because God has already accepted them in Jesus. He's asking, how can you reject someone that God has already welcomed in? Saying, don't divide over differences that don't ultimately matter. If you went into somebody else's house Again, everybody's house has a culture and rules that go on there that are often unspoken. But if you went in and and immediately try to change all those things in somebody else's house, that doesn't make sense, right? There's freedom in those things. Again, we we need to, in love, welcome each other in and not divide over things that don't ultimately matter. We'll bear with one another in love. 
in Christ, you are free to enjoy all of creation in the Lordship of Christ. St. Augustine, the African church father said, you are free to love God and do as you please. But the scriptures are clear, we're not to use this freedom to sin or to cause other brothers and sisters to stumble. That brings us to our key verses here. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So Paul is saying here, again, in Christ, all things, all food are clean. Every day is holy as unto the Lord. But if someone thinks something's unclean and they can't eat it in faith, he says here, and also again in verse 23, if you can't do something in faith, then it's sin. So as a Christian, when in doubt of something, don't do it. Conscience plays a huge role for us as the people of God. Hebrews 11 tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. And here in Romans 14, 23 says, if you do something that doesn't proceed from faith then it's sin for you. But also when we think about this freedom, when you think about it, not just for ourselves, but how do we use this with others? So Sid and Sarah Jordan welcome in baby Liam this week, was born, excited about meeting him. But one of the things that happens when you have a baby is that you give up certain freedoms. Certain freedoms go away, not just changes to your calendar, but also to your house. Again, think about your outlets. Normally you gotta put some plugs in your outlets. And we gotta take these beautiful decorations that you've decorated your house with and put them up because they're breakable. You gotta put all kinds of locks on different cabinets once your babies start moving around. I'm the dish man in the Pew household and we have probably the most difficult to unlock child lock in the world on our Tupperware cabinet. It drives me crazy, but I love my son. I don't want him to get hurt. So I bear in love with him. There's certain freedoms that we give up in love for other people that we set aside willfully. Sometimes the Lord may give you a stronger conscience in an area, not because you are so mature, but because you're too weak to handle the freedom in that area. And that's okay. Paul's saying that's okay here. Just don't stand in judgment on those who don't have the same convictions as you in this area. But on the other side, Christian liberty is not just about what you can do but about what you have the freedom to give up in order to prefer those who have different convictions and preferences than you. Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. Again, we must walk in love with one another. We must die to ourselves and our preferences. Jesus' word says it's better to have a millstone wrapped around your neck, tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than it is to cause one of God's children to stumble. Christ died for your brother or sister. So again, we, Jesus has died on the cross for us. We must take up our crosses as Jesus calls us to, to die to ourselves and our preferences in order to love and serve this new family we've been brought into. I do want to qualify this here for a second. Reformer uh, John Calvin, I think, I think has a helpful discussion 
on this point. He said, there, there is a difference between the weaker brother and the Pharisee. There is a difference. The weaker brother or sister in the faith is one that if you do that thing, again, they are legitimately gonna stumble in their faith. It's gonna be harmful for their relation with God. But then there's a Pharisee over here that again, is gonna be upset about you doing something, but is just gonna sit in judgment over you because they are finding their identity in things that are out of step with the gospel. They're taking again, little things and making them ultimate things. And Calvin says, for the weaker brother, we by all means give up whatever we have to give up. But for the Pharisee, it may be helpful for us to even do those things, to show them they're out of step with the gospel. Do you know why Jesus healed on the Sabbath? He could heal the only day of the week he, he wanted, right? He was Lord of the Sabbath. He's the God man. He healed on the Sabbath to shake things up because these Pharisees were finding their religious identity in what they did for God, not in what God has done for them in seeing the Messiah. So again, sometimes it may, it may be helpful for us to at least have a conversation with someone. Again, is this a really a weaker brother? Or is this someone who's just, their faith's not gonna be at all affected. They're just gonna sit in judgment over me for these things. So I think, again, we need to make sure if it is someone who's weaker in the faith, we by all means give up whatever we have to give up in order to serve them. But we first and foremost must be a gospel people, a kingdom people. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom is not about what you eat and drink, but it's about the relationships you have with God and with his people and with your neighbors. Fulfilling all of the law of love that Jesus has given us, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. This is Christianity 101 that we're called to. So what's more important to you? Is it food and drink or your brother or sister? St. Augustine, I think helpfully says that sin is misplaced love. Sin is loving things out of its proper place. So if you know Augustine's story, he's got this book called The Confessions. And one of the ways that Augustine knew that he was a sinner was that he went and stole these pears from his neighbor's land. And he said, I didn't even like pears. I just stole them because I wanted to steal something. But Augustine didn't like pears, but he really liked strawberries. And he gives this helpful illustration. So he loves strawberries. He said, if I'm sitting down with a brother and eating strawberries, and my brother eats the last strawberry, he said, it would be sinful for me to reach across the table and punch my brother in the face for that. So be sinful, not because it's wrong for me to love strawberries, but it's wrong for me to love strawberries more than I love my brother. Sin is misplaced love. Again, what do you love more? Do you love food or drink? Do you love your freedoms more? Or do you love your brother or sister more? Wine is a gift according to scriptures. Psalm 104 says that God gave us wine as a gift to make our heart glad. But Paul is clear here that we must be willing to give up gifts at times in order to bear in love with people who are weaker in their faith, who can't partake of gifts in a redeemed way. Again, we must love God and others more than we love these gifts that come from God. The people of God, those who follow Jesus are free, but we're not to flaunt our freedoms, but to even give them up for those who are weaker in their faith so that they may flourish in their faith. 
There's some common disagreements, again, that are happening in our day-to-day that are dividing people. A lot of these things come down to politics, right? And again, no matter which way you vote, no matter which side of the aisle you prefer to lean, it's a problem for any professing Christian to care more about a politician, more about a political party than you do your brother or sister. And it's a huge problem that's plaguing professing Christians right now. Policies matter because they affect people's lives, right? We should really aim to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that, again, should inform the way we vote. But Christians are free to vote differently. Because if you're walking in step with the values of Jesus' kingdom, that's going to put you out of step with both major political parties right now, which, again, gives you freedom as a Christian. Say, okay, where, where is the best place for me to cast my vote? We should bear with one another in these things. We shouldn't let differences over these things ultimately divide us. Again, everything's being politicized. I'm looking around. It's really difficult to preach to folks in masks. I'm looking forward when this day is over. Some people have used Romans 14 to talk about masks. I don't think it's really masks are not really an issue of weaker and stronger brother. I think this is an issue of just loving our neighbors right now, right? Again, this is not going to last forever. But in love, we need to bear with one another. Jesus' kingdom is going to last forever. Ultimately, I I think Tupac was at least kind of right, right? If you listen to the rest of the song, maybe not completely right, but kind of right here, according to Paul, that we should leave issues where, again, there should be freedom, ultimately up to the Lord. Again, because there's free in these things because it's about our hearts and our conscience. Two Christians can do the exact same thing and one it's sin and the other's not because are they doing it in faith or not? So we should give each other freedom in these things. We can't judge each other's hearts in these things. We're to accept one another based upon our standing with Jesus, not on our preferences on things that Jesus has given us freedom in. Paul's question here is how can we reject those that God has welcomed in? Since Jesus has died for your fellow brothers and sisters, how can you not die to yourself in order to see them flourish in their faith? Paul continues this argument into chapter 15, where he says the the strong have the responsibility to bear with the weak because we don't have the responsibility just to live to please ourselves. Why? Because that's not what Jesus did. We saw that in Philippians in the fall, didn't we? We need to have the mind of Christ among us, who Jesus, who came in humility. We need to regard others as more significant than ourselves, Paul says. We need to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is what we're called to, to not look out for our own interests, but also those of others. These are things we can only do by the power of the Spirit, and we can only do looking to Jesus and what he's done for us. And that's how we end the word, our time in the scriptures every week, is by looking to Jesus, looking to what he's done, to us, done for us. So if you will take this cup that's in front of you, if you are turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus, if you belong to him, 
This is a meal, a time where we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. And we also remind ourselves of our unity with one another. The unity that we have together as the people of God. We should not be divided as we come to this table together. We remember Jesus, again, the eternal God who became man, who had his body broken to the point of death on the cross that he might offer his people eternal life. Jesus declared himself as being the bread of life. And whoever through faith looks to Jesus and eats that bread, Jesus says, will live forever. So let's take and eat together. And one of the things that uh, hurts my heart about this pandemic season, one of the many things is that it has uh, taken away the idea of us having a common cup together. Because I think, again, that's what the scripture set forth as being the ideal. We're not in an ideal season right now. We probably, again, may not get back to an ideal season with people uh, being aware of germs in, in my lifetime anyway. But I think there is something significant, at least as thinking about as we're holding these little plastic cups, that this cup is something that we're partaking of together. Again, it unites us together. This cup represents the new covenant in Jesus' blood that was shed for forgiveness of sins. One of the things that unites us together Again, is that we're all made in the image of God, that we all have dignity and value and worth, but also that we're all sinners and broken that are too messed up to save ourselves. The only hope that we have of salvation, of the forgiveness of sins, where we have failed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and failed to love our neighbor as ourselves, that's what the essence of sin is where we all fall short. And the only hope of us having forgiveness from those things is the blood of Jesus. As the old hymn says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The apostle Paul, our apostle John tells us that if you are faithful to confess your sins, then our God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus. So let's take and drink, remember that together. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to us. We thank you that he has come and lived and fulfilled the law of love, that he has loved you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, that he has loved his neighbors as himself perfectly that he has fulfilled all the law and ushered in a new covenant for us to where we don't have to divide over and argue about food and days any longer. I pray you'd give us wisdom by your spirit to walk in love with one another, to bear with one another in Jesus. Again, to die to ourselves and our preferences, to take up our crosses in love for each other. And we can't do this in our own strength. It's only by the power of your spirit working in us that will lead us to die to ourselves in these ways. So we pray you'd help us to do that. Help us not just to be hearers of your word, 
but doers. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. 